Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and my song's gon' break through like a running back Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. Mark Daly and Mr. Mark Hamilton here to talk about all the latest goings on in Formula One. Hammy, my friend. Blink of an eye, we're already in the middle of September. This is crazy, but the good news is racist weekend, lots to talk about. And when you sent me the show outline earlier today, I was like, holy moly, this is going to be a busy one. There's some pretty dense technical topics in here and some pretty interesting stories as well. So this is going to be interesting because usually we kind of chat about these things before we hit record, but full disclosure moment, I, I misplaced my headphones and I spent the time that you and I usually spend kind of having like a, a little brief session before the, the 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 podcast so i burned that time looking for a piece of gear i usually keep coming back so i'm just gonna own it right now hammy that if this show is terrible then it's on me conversely if this turns out to be the show best show ever i'm gonna i'm gonna claim i'm gonna own that as well because the little chaotic energy i kind of injected into the show before he started maybe is a good thing so i don't know either i so win daily, or i lose daily 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 yeah first of all you were lying through your team we have never done any <laughs> prep for this show that we slap together an outline and we wing it live to tape as you say so it doesn't matter that we didn't get together for 15 minutes and jam over the topics like we were gonna wing it anyways but you are Spoken totally mirrors. right that it is a fairly technical show today once we get into the meat of the news and of course we'll conclude the show because we're going to be reviewing and prepping for the singapore grand prix which of course is uh maybe not a crown jewel but definitely a highlight on the calendar but my friend i i think before we get started i just quickly wanted to acknowledge the fact that and shame on us for not doing it on the weekend that the 2023 IndyCar Championship has concluded, and as expected, former McLaren F1 reserve driver Alex Palo has been crown champion for the second time in three years. He finished the championship on 656 points. Scott Dixon, who's won about 118 championships, he finished on 578 points. He actually won three of the last four races and finished on the podium in the last four races to at least make it close, but I thought it was worth acknowledging that. And also, yep. and this is big news as well. Aero McLaren IndyCar driver and McLaren F1 test driver Pato Award has reached 40 FIA super license points, meaning he officially qualifies for the super license and could theoretically jump into a Formula One car, I think is as early as this season, to be to be totally honest, if the opportunity arose. But just wanted to make sure we kind of touched on some indie topics off the top because I got roasted a little bit on social media the last couple of days for not having acknowledged that the championship had been decided and the season's and, over. 
And and rightly so, but people are going to roast you on social media regardless what you do or don't do, and and rightly so. And um, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll just uh, leave it at that. Anyways, let's uh, just do uh, take care of those who take care of us. So first of all, uh, just want to give a shout out to the Race Weekend magazine, and if you head over on uh, over to their we- uh, website, theraceweekend.com, r a c e w k n d dot com, enter in uh, Scuderia Pod at checkout, save ten percent on a year subscription. Also check out. Uh, RacingExclusives.com for unique, authentic Formula One merchandise. And of course, they're the ones that have generously supplied us with the autographed half-scale Max for Stappen helmet for the winner of our Fantasy League. Hammy, I'll let you take the next one because you're taking names for a good I love, reason. I There's love a this. list. I love this. Yep. I love this. Uh, hopeful, actually, there's two topics I want to quickly touch on. First of all is the Las Vegas Grand Prix Watch Party that will be hosted here in Coquitlam, British Columbia is coming soon. We're only now like two months out, which I know still seems like a long time, but given that it's, we've talked no, talking about this yeah, for eight months, that's not a long time. That's coming fast. Here. Basically, Daly and I need to know who's coming so we can plan our Costco visit because we promise that we're going to load up on food and lovely beverages and we're going to have multiple TVs set up. Uh, So if you're interested in coming, please let us know. We want to make that a list official. And then the other topic real quick, because I wanted to uh, address, I don't want to address is the wrong word. That sounds really abrasive. But one of our amazing listeners, Vince D, Vince Dessereau, uh, otherwise known as Vince Dess in the Fantasy League, uh, he currently has two teams in the top 10 and he's been contending all year. What I didn't know is that he is a very prominent radio personality in the province of Quebec, and he recently sent me a clip from his radio program on an FM station where he talks about our fantasy league and plays a clip of me talking about the fantasy. So I thought it would be hilarious (laughs) if, if we played a clip of his radio show that played a clip of me, but given the fact that his radio show is in French and most of our audience probably wouldn't understand, I, I refrained from doing that but i got such a kick out of the fact that one of our listeners who's in our fantasy poll or pool is talking about the fantasy pool in our podcast on his french language radio station in the province of quebec which i just thought was cool so just wanted to, i just want to shout out vince d on the air yeah, you know, last year i had the, the the opportunity to spend a day in montreal and i completely fell in love with montreal and we were staying with my brother-in-law in in ottawa so that's just across the river from from gatineau spent men made many day trips into that wonderful province L- fell in love with the people the culture the language it was high on my list next time i go back to to the east of uh, canada to spend more time i want to go to quebec city so bad i want to spend an extended amount of time in quebec at some time uh you know it's just that the pocketbook just doesn't uh, <laughs> it's it's not lining up with all these like desires that my wife and have to to, to to go but my daughter actually got to go on a school exchange for a week uh, last winter to Quebec and that was I, you know I was so jealous middle school me was so jealous well growing up me was jealous of my daughter too but that's a very cool story to, to hear about uh, you know Vince and uh, you know flexing on his position in the fantasy league I almost feel like like obligated to give him the the, the prize but we gotta we gotta follow due process we gotta totally. follow this thing through to the end dude so oh my god so funny by the way so <laughs> my wife on the weekend was doing this massive cleanup and I was just like everything in that room can be thrown away and so she's like packing it all up and putting it oh. in bins and recycling and stuff she found the 
two certificates of authenticity for the two helmets that I had told her Ooh. to throw away. So I didn't even know they were missing, let alone in this pile of junk. So we have the certificate <laughs> of authenticity for next year's Pierre Gasly helmet, and we have the one for Max. So shout out to my wife for saving that. And just on the topic of Montreal, I found out last Friday that I'm going to be in Montreal for the better part of a week in October for a, a work function. Uh, but we'll be staying downtown about a block away from the Bell Center or Center Bell, which of course is where the Montreal Canadiens play. Uh, so excited to spend a couple of lovely fall days in the city of Montreal. I will I will say this, Montreal, once you get into the city of Montreal, it's great, but it feels like that city is eternally under construction, that everything's under construction. <laughs> and I remember yeah. the first time I, I drove and it was in a cab, uh, me and some work colleagues were driving from the airport to downtown and my, my work friends looking around, it was just like, it's like, it was like driving through Mordor. It was just like, everything was just a disaster and there was bridges and construction, but apparently that's just Montreal. It's just, it's always under construction, always under construction. Great city. Love Montreal. All right. So we, okay, we got uh, through everything. So the, the final uh, point here, bullet point on our list, and we're going to talk about this in detail coming up uh, pretty quick, is this uh, technical directive on flexi wings, et cetera. Ooh, and we're going to jump gonna right into it. So yeah, TD018, uh, it sounds like, you know, something out of like an instruction list or you know, a part for like a piece of Ikea furniture or something like that. Take TD01, whatever. Uh, okay. So a bit of news here. Um, um, this comes from the Julien Fabreau. According to our information, uh, Joe Guan Yu's situation has been resolved and the young Chinese driver is about to extend his contract until 2024. In recent weeks, several drivers, not just F2 drivers, have been in talks to replace him. Unfortunately for them, the door is about to close. There you go. So it sounds like uh, Joe will be back uh, for at least another season. And you got to think that uh, if, you know, for either himself or Valtteri, you want to hang on to that seat as, as long as possible possible i mean they're in this weird place right now is alfa romeo but you know 26 is going to come and then that's going to be the factory works audi team and that's going to be that's going to be a thing so Daily, i'm going to interject because i know yeah. you're going to try to skip over the next story i have here but if you didn't know this young driver is the lulu is a lulu lemon ambassador uh so mm -hmm. if you i was going to gloss over that because oh, you're I, like you were, you're you, were, you big, gloss over you're, all my fun oh, stories but I, no, mean, but I just I, I only bring this up because one, <laughs> Lululemon is based out of the city in which you and I live, and two, yeah. I'm a huge fan of that brand. So I just that's think it's very cool that there's an F1 driver it. that's an ambassador. Okay, okay, yeah, I'll because give you the I know it's like next it time. Yeah. I was just gonna say I, I know that that story combined like three of your like you know, your major like like things that the love of where we live, your love of Lululemon, and your love of Formula One, and you know there's so many cool tie-ins with Joe being like a Lululemon ambassador. So, but dude, I you know, on on the F1 front, I totally yep. agree with you that if he can somehow find a way to to retain that seat for the next two years and potentially get elevated to that factory Audi team. And who knows what that's going to look like in 2026, but that would be, that would be very, very cool. Cause you're right. Like it's in the team's in such a weird place that it's, it's yeah. effectively a Ferrari powered Sauber that's being funded by Audi. It's such a, <laughs> only an F1 man, only an F1. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? It's just like when you think it couldn't get any weirder, it gets weirder, and it's just like. But like you say, it's a, it only an F one. But just off the top of my, uh, you know, just asking, do you know how old Joe is? He what twenty two now? It's got to be yeah, about like twenty two, yeah, yeah, yeah. twenty three thereabouts. Yeah. Let me look that up. Let me do the old half assed internet research on that one. <laughs> well, while you're, while you're doing that, I'm just going to pull up twenty uh, four, twenty four, same okay. age as Lance Stroll. 
Yeah, that that's interesting. Uh, for for some reason, I've, I've well, maybe it's just because Lance has been around in Formula One for a, a while, and, and Joe's a, a relative newcomer, relatively speaking. I, I just felt like that uh, that Lance had a couple of years on him, but that that's an interesting uh, comp. Okay, a um, couple of interesting um, uh, stats coming here from a couple of Reddit users. Uh, Justin Inchident, I think is the first one. In the coming Singapore GPs, Checo will become the driver with most Grand Prix as a teammate for Max Verstappen. This is a, a bit of an eye-opener. So Checo will have, uh, you know, be setting the bar at 59 races partnered with, uh, with with Max and that's an interesting stat uh, I you know like to go back and do the math and see well I guess you know Ricardo must have had 58 so that's that's interesting second one comes from my 33 if Alonso completes at least 16 laps at the Singapore Grand Prix on Sunday he will have driven 100,000 kilometers or 60,000 miles in Formula One. That is insane, Unfathomable. dude. Unfathomable. Crazy. Like, Crazy. Right now, right now, we've had our car since 2019, and we've got like 55K on it. And I just think about the hundreds and hundreds of hours spent like piling on that mileage. And he's got 100,000 kilometers in the cockpit of a Formula One car. Like, just think about like the physical stresses that have been placed on his body as a result of that mileage. And yet he's still stacking podiums. Just unbelievable. One of my favorite drivers at F1 all of a sudden. <laughs> I, I know that uh, it, it's weird how, and it just goes to show how actually it, we don't like we're easily influenced we are because like you know, for the longest time we've been really like icy on Fernando and this year just because he's driving for Aston Martin and all the Canadian connections the fact that this is a team that you and I've been pulling for the for, for the past couple of years to do something and uh, he's been getting this oh we love Fernando we love Fernando and we love happy Fernando and all these things it's just like yeah, we're we're easily influenced. Anyways, uh, we'll we'll pivot quickly away from that awkward moment and just go over the uh, DHL fastest pit stop award standings for the 2023 Formula One World Championship. After round 18, first is Red Bull. Are these? Is this team winning everything, uh, leading everything, apparently? So they have 380, 389 points. Ferrari is second with 284. McLaren is third with 221 points. They have uh, Alpine, Alpha Tauri, Aston Martin, uh, Mercedes, Williams, Alfa Romeo, and Haas are the 10th and final team. Haas only has nine <laughs> points in the fastest pit stop award. You know, it's crazy because when you think about it, was it, was it two years ago now that they brought in those... Uh, you know, the TD to slow down the pit stops. And we were seeing some really amazing times, like sub two second times is not the fastest pit stop now, again, under, you know, sub two seconds, despite all the, you know, and, and it's funny too, because like those directives that they, that they put in place a couple of years ago, slowed them down by about a second, but that's, that's been creeping you know, under two seconds again, or closer to two seconds again. It's uh, it, Formula One is just uh, amazing sometimes. So the next uh, uh, graphic we have here is so Red Bull can close up the constructors' championship uh, this weekend. And so if you look at the the standings in the constructor right now. Red Bull leading the way by a mile. Checo and Max have uh, scored a combined 583 points. They are the runaway leaders in the constructors. They are 210, 345,000 points, whatever it is, ahead of uh, Mercedes who have 273, Ferrari have 228, and Aston Martin 217. So they can clinch the constructors this weekend if... 
Max and uh, Checo score one, two, and Mercedes fail to score. So that seems unlikely. Well, not the one, two for, 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 for Red Bull, but uh, a double DNF for Mercedes. I know they haven't been the Mercedes that we've all known for the past uh, decade, but uh, a double DNF. Well, let's put it, a double DNF uh, through mechanical reliability issues seems unlikely. Uh, you know, Singapore being a road circuit, sometimes it could be a little bit brutal. So there's uh, there, there's possibilities there. Although we're going to talk about a little bit later that uh, perhaps this is a track more suited to Mercedes than Red Bull, but that's a little bit of uh, foreshadowing. Or the other scenario that Red Bull could use to clinch the constructors this weekend is still score one, two, finish. Plus, they secure the fastest lap and Mercedes score one point or less. So, you know, some things have to go. I mean, obviously, they're going to win this one way or another. The question is just uh, when and uh, and not if. All right, um, Mark, why don't we jump into that one IndyCar story that we have? We're coming up in a break in a, a couple of uh, minutes. So why don't we jump into this one? This is a kind of a fun one. And then we'll take that to, to break and then we'll come back and we'll dr- uh, jump into the story that we have uh, about flexi wings and things like that. So this is going to be at the Thermal Club. So it's going to be an exhibition race and it's basically uh, it will be the close of their spring training event at the Thermal Club in California. And it's, uh, it's, it's very, very cool. This is going to take place next spring for March 22nd and 23rd of 2024. So... Uh, um, Penske Entertainment CEO Mark Miles had the following to say, quote, IndyCar will add an incredible new event to our schedule with next year's spectacular racing showcase at the Thermal Club. This world-class venue is just down the road from the world's premier entertainment market. It is the perfect place to bring our hyper-competitive racing and growing star power. While championship points will not be on the line, the event will be feature a multi-million dollar purse. This is a statement that was actually released by uh, IndyCar, not uh, from Mark Miles. Statement goes on to say, a draw party will to, uh, to begin the event will embed members of the Thurble Club within each race team and driver. The weekend format will include a qualifying session and two heat races with the top six from each heat advancing to an all-star showcase. The top five finishing teams will split their earnings with the Thermal Club members, including a $1 million prize awarded to the winner. There will be a charitable component to the events, which will be announced at a later date. So very, very cool that, uh, that, that IndyCar is uh, going to be doing this. So just uh, a little FYI that um, this uh, this is a private circuit. This is located in the Coachella Valley in uh, California. I'm I'm disappointed because I know I'm already not going to be on the list. But uh, you know, good for IndyCar. I, it's it's interesting to see when it, it doesn't matter what it is. I like to see things that uh, you know. And I hate using like this sort of overused and hackneyed phrase. I like to see people thinking outside the box, and this is uh, definitely a uh, an example of that. Mark, yeah. So Coachella Valley is about two and a half hours from LA by car, and about three hours from San Diego. Like you said, it's a private circuit, so there's very little expectation of ticket sales, or if there's tickets, it might be a few hundred, very very fortunate few because they don't have grandstands or any kind of spectator accommodation. It is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, this exhibition is going to happen in season. So it sounds like it's going to happen a couple of weeks after the season actually begins. So you'll have at least one race that will be for championship points. And then you have this event, which 
would basically just be for prize money, uh, which is really, really interesting. And then the other thing to remember as well, and somebody reminded me of this earlier today, but 2024 is the first year that Indy is going to rock their new turbo hybrid power units. So of course, Indy's making the switch over to a hybrid powertrain configuration as well. And I believe the cars next year are going to be equipped with an additional 150 horsepower. So next year could be a uh, could be pretty fun, but it also goes back to that whole thing that you and I have talked about before about, you know what, if if F1 really wanted to do something cool, and let's be honest, no driver's ever going to sign up for this. Imagine having an F1 exhibition race with all of the drivers and spec cars strictly for cash. It's strictly a cash prize. It's a $5 million purse, a $10 million purse. Put all of the drivers in spec F2 cars and let them go at it. Like That would be sensational, but no driver would ever actually that's wrong no driver in the top six of the world drivers championship would sign up for that (laughs) but if if you're a driver in the bottom 10 you're absolutely because it's an opportunity to showcase your your skill set right but i love that point you made about thinking outside the box and this is uh very much outside the the box for indycar uh, are, are you suggesting when it comes to Formula One drivers that that egos and 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 status and things like that come into the 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 equation at some point? Say it's not so, Mark. Say it's not it's not so. Time Anyways, yeah, exactly. Say it's not so. Time for a break. Uh, we'll be back on the flip side, and we're going to jump into some of these interesting uh, proposed rule changes for twenty five and twenty six. Talk about the the flexi wing clampdowns and uh, a bunch of uh, more interesting stories. So hang on with us. We'll we'll be back in just a moment. So don't go away. Passion drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everybody, welcome back. And here we are, already one segment out of the way, back uh, into the news uh, for the week. And Mark, it's that that time again. It's our news segments. And 
Well, where are we going to start? We've got plenty of uh, news when it comes to let's technical do this. directives. Let's do okay. this. Let's start with the... Uh, yeah, you're right, because we could talk about... We've got some really good stuff. We've got TD39, TD18. We've got weight reduction for 2026. And we've also got this one. So let's start here. So going into 2022, we were all promised that F1 racing was going to be better. And it was going to be better because cars were going to generate downforce on the bottom of the cars. And the reason that that was useful is because it would create less outwash, which would allow cars behind a car to follow more closely and overtake. And if you remember, if you go back 10, 11, 12 years, uh, Formula One introduced DRS strictly because it was very difficult to follow a car in front of you, which made it very difficult to overtake because there was so much turbulent air. And that turbulent air meant that you were losing downforce. So Formula One created this concept called DRS, which was designed to help make it easier to follow and easier to overtake. Basically, DRS was a mechanism to offset the disturbance in air that was being spun off of the car in front of you. Now, in 2022, the promise was we're going to create downforce on the bottom of the cars, which will create less turbulent air behind behind you, which will make it easier for the car behind you to follow and potentially overtake. So in 2021, as a point of reference, cars that were following the car in front of them, so if they were two car lengths behind a car, they were losing 50% of their aero load. So effectively, 50% of their downforce was being lost because of this turbulent air that was being spun up. In 2022, when the new regulations were introduced, that was cut down to just 20%, which was sensational. I think we got all super excited at the beginning of the 2022 championship because it felt like there was lots of overtaking happening. Now, that number kind of diminished a little little bit as the championship went on, but it was still very good. And I remember daily, you and I sat here a year ago, we were talking about, look, DRS is now less an equalizer and more a weapon because the cars could follow so closely anyways, that DRS became a knife that you could pull out and stab the, oh, that's a horrible reference point, but it became more of a weapon as opposed to an equalizer <laughs> this year. 2023, cars are losing 35% of their aero load. So almost all of the gains that were achieved with the regulation changes in 2022 have been lost as teams have continued to develop their cars. So the FIA, as a response to this, is planning to introduce some changes for 25, not 24. And the reason they're not going to introduce changes for 2024 is the teams are so far down the development pathway for 2024 that it would be very disruptive to come and say, hey, we're going to introduce these changes, which would have complications for the teams and possibly throw their cost cap um, management into, into despair. So for 2025, it sounds like the FI is going to target a bunch of things, including the end plates of the front wings, the side of the floors, and the fins inside the wheels around the brake ducts. And this is designed specifically because it's thought that these elements are increasing outwash, which forces air away from the car and the tires. And this is what hampers the ability of cars to follow each other as that air generates downforce that is thrown clear. So a bunch of things here, but I think the main takeaway is, hey, the 2022 regs were designed to allow cars to follow more closely. That advantage has now been lost and it will continue to erode until 2025 when the FI institutes some changes that will help to recover some of that that lost uh, that lost downforce. 
Yeah, you know, it's very interesting when uh, when you look at it, and there's, um, you know, uh, Nicholas uh, Tombazas, who is the uh, FIA single seat uh, director, you know, talks about this, and, you know, it is as disheartening as it was to hear some of the comments from, um, um, sorry, from Carlos Sainz after the uh, Italian Grand Prix a couple of weeks ago, it, you know, what he's just talking about, it, it's now as difficult to follow the car in front of you as it was a couple of years ago, because it's, it's clearly like there were some issues the previous generations of cars so i i was really disappointed a little bit frustrated a little bit upset but i'm i'm glad that tombazas and the fir are jumping on this so quickly i would love to see this go onto the cars like you know today tomorrow i'd love to see it in place for next year but but like you so correctly pointed out mark they're they're too far down the development pathway that this would be nothing less than a major disruption and an inconvenience so perhaps you know we're we're just going to have to grin and bear it for the for the time being uh, for for another season, but you know it it is interesting that they've they've taken a look at that, and and those are some big numbers when you look at the the disruption and the the reduction in load twenty percent thirty five percent those are significant you know like to 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 be in double digits, but to be in double digits to that uh, that magnitude is really quite uh, surprising. But you know it, it's interesting that they, they that they were able to really focus in on specific areas such as wind uh, sorry. And when, why can I not say this properly? End plates on the front wings, the the side of floors, the fins on inside wheels, etc. I, I think that that's uh, really um, you know interesting that they, that they identified those uh, those problem areas so quickly, and then are going to do what uh, Tombaza says is uh, lay down more restrictive rules in that area. So I, I, I'm happy that this is going to happen. I just wish it would happen a, a little bit sooner. But another thing, I mean, Tombaza's and uh, you know his team are obviously pretty busy at the moment because they're looking at uh, not just uh, the, these changes, but other changes to, to come further down the line for 2026, where they want to reduce the weight of the cars, the 2026 cars, by 50 kilograms, which is about 120 pounds, which is a major amount of weight for you know a machine that is all things considered, uh, you know, will be a little bit narrower. They'll be a little bit shorter. And we, we've gotten to a point, and there was a cool graphic that came out. It might have been an, a motorsport.com, an autosport one, that basically showed this evolution of, uh, of Formula One cars um, over the decades. And I think it came out last year in advance of the Monaco Grand Prix because everybody is like, okay, well, you know, this is a track where nobody can pass. This is going to be a boring race, etc. And then when you saw the size and shape and width and length and everything to do with the the evolution of the Formula One car from 1950 up to 2021 or whatever it was, it was really quite astounding to see just how big the cars were, not compared to, say, 1950 or 1970 or 1983, but just compared to like three, four, five, six, seven, you know, within the last decade, it was pretty uh, interesting. So uh, Tom Bazas had to say, uh, quote, with the dimensions of the wheels, which will be narrower, plus the rear wing and the car in general, we aim to reduce the weight of cars by around 50 kilograms. So it'll be possible to see smaller single-seater cars, shorter and narrower, but we are talking about solutions that still need to be discussed. Uh, with the car on a diet, we might be able to reduce the cornering speeds a bit. Being lighter, they will go faster in a straight line. 
but they will generate less aerodynamic load. So we will need to increase the hybrid energy's recovery to ensure adequate lap performance. End quote. So that was one of the concerns too, because um, Red Bull they were you know they were concerned what uh, might uh, you know they were calling it Frankenstein cars that might come out in 2026. There's even uh, talk and discussion that the drivers might a- actually have to gear down on um, on uh, straightaways to boost their hybrid systems and charge the batteries and things like that. So it's uh, it's really quite uh, interesting what they're looking to because um, Tombazis uh, addresses this saying quote a lot of work has been done to understand how energy recovery and management will have to be done, how overtaking can be done based on the aerodynamic configuration. We've carried out many situations by changing these parameters. We have found solutions that seem to work adequately. If one took the 2026 power units and mounted them on the current cars, probably the result would be the scenario put forward by those who were worried. But in recent months, we have collected a series of very positive developments, so the comments express old positions. We also need to take into account that the engine and chassis will have to evolve together and it will not be possible to think of one without the other, end quote. Just want to mention that this is a um, uh, an article on uh, auto, or sorry, motorsport.com written by jo- Jonathan Noble and co-authored by Franco Nunez. So very interesting. I think for me, the key takeaway is that at the end of that Tom Baz's quote, where he's saying that the, the engine and the chassis are, are very much going to be, you know... Th- they're already very much intertwined and, and very much interconnected, but it sounds like that uh, they're, they're really going to have to put a lot of thought and care into the design, uh, you know, of the, the the car, sorry, the engine and the chassis in 2026 to address these specific problems, I, I, I think, or challenges, I should say. I think it's it's absolutely fascinating, Mark. Yeah, I think, Daily, my, my takeaway from this one's probably a little bit different, and it's just, it's mm-hmm. the promise of smaller Formula One cars. And, and there's there's a host of reasons why this is beneficial to us as 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 viewers and why it's beneficial to to the sport and and what the FIA is promising is that the cars are going to be narrower they're going to be shorter and and those are positive developments because if you have a narrower shorter car its footprint on the track is physically smaller and we talk about the fact that it's so difficult to overtake we're on these old legacy tracks and there's no room there's no room there's no room even if you reduce the width and you probably won't reduce the width by more than a few millimeters but if you can reduce the width and certainly if you can reduce the length of the car in in a measure in a measurement that can be inches that makes it easier to overtake and it makes it easier to pass and it creates more racing excitement on the track that's all good news and i think everyone would celebrate the fact that the cars are going to be smaller. The benefit of them being lighter is that it's better on the brakes, it creates faster acceleration, and it creates faster braking. So that's a good news story as well. And then the other big piece and the other acknowledgement in this article is this. They talk about more narrow tires. If you have narrower tires, you have narrower rims. And if you remember, back in 2017, coming from 2016 to 2017, they wanted bigger cars that were grippier and they could corner faster. And they did that by expanding the dimensions of the car so there was more aerodynamic surfaces to create more downforce. But in doing so, they significantly increased the width of the wheels. The rear went from 325 mils to 405 and the front went from 245 to 305. What they don't talk about there is when you do that, the wheel gets bigger. The actual rim gets bigger, which increases unsprung mass uh, and it also increases rotating mass. And both of 
those things are a horror show when it comes to acceleration and braking. So by also narrowing the width of the tires, you're significantly reducing unsprung mass and you're significantly reducing rotating mass. And both of those things will be great for acceleration. So I think my main takeaway here is that these cars in a straight line, especially if they have really great aero, kind of aerodynamic efficiency, they should be much faster in a straight line where they will be much, much slower. Like you alluded to a couple of minutes ago is in the corners because the cars are going to be physically smaller. There's going to be far less aerodynamic surfaces. So there'll be less aerodynamic downforce, but there's also going to be less mechanical grip because your tires, your rims are going to be less wide. So there'll be less contact patch on the, on the tarmac. So some trade-offs and some compromises, but I think the car might be slower in corners. It should be faster in the straights. Hopefully the average lap times will be about the same, but again, a smaller car with a smaller footprint on the track could create a situation where you see more racing. But the other big piece here, and you talked about it as well, is the the ability for the hybrid energy to recover enough energy in these situations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But all of this to me is very, very promising. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm quite uh, you know intrigued to see what they're what they're doing, and quite fascinated to see what it is, and I hope that it works out. You know, I was just thinking too, as you were talking, Mark, that the one of the more recent times that we've seen a, a major rule change was at the beginning of 2017, when the when the cars got significantly bigger, the tires, wheels all got significantly bigger, and I remember looking at some of the like the projected speeds that uh, that they were coming up with, and it was all to do with the uh, with the um, you know, the circuit at uh, at, at Barcelona and they're talking about and I might be getting my units uh, mixed up here but they're talking about like the increased speeds we'd see going through some of the different corners here I can't remember now if it was 30 kilometers an hour or 30 miles an hour regardless if it was kilometers or miles that was like a big increase in basically the space of one year from 2016 to 2017 and some of those cornering speeds absolutely amazing and then just talking about the the the, the fact that these cars are smaller i mean I've had the, the the privilege to go back and watch some historic races on that that are available in the F1 TV Pro archive, and I guess it was about a year ago I went back and watched the the 2009 Australian Grand Prix, and it was it, it was quite profound the you know the or noticeable the the difference in size between the the like the contemporary modern cars compared to cars just from you know just over a decade ago and it was really quite amazing just to 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 watch them and of course we always see a lot of dicing and and moves at the beginning of races as uh, you know cars are fighting for position but they looked like a swarm of bees because they just looked so much narrower everybody was uh, really um you know jockeying for position and there were some challenges in in those times as well. I mean, it wasn't like we were seeing 500 overtaking, you know, I'm being extreme here, but, uh, you know, heaps and heaps of uh, passes and overtaking, uh, you know, um, opportunities. There there were some issues, but uh, in that era as well, but it, it was... You know, the, the key takeaway from that was just the, the the noticeable size difference between cars from 14, 15 years ago to what uh, what we were or what we are right now. Okay, Mark, let's get into this one because this is going to take a little bit of time to talk about. So this is TD018, this new technical directive. They're going to be clamping down on the flexi wings and just flexi parts in general. And, and this is very, very interesting because... 
of course, we know that Formula One is about challenging boundaries and pushing the limits. And that's not just to what happens, you know, the, the loads that drivers are subjected to and the cars are subjected to, like all the conditions, but it's also exploiting rules and finding loopholes and pushing those loopholes and rules to the absolute limit without uh, breaking them and, uh, and and still having a car that is legal and compliant but is has an advantage over your competitors. So this flexi-wing thing has been around for a little bit of time now in some you know different formats. So now what the but the big push is for compliance and control from the FIA is parts that move into relation to other body parts. So um, it's <laughs> there. there's a, a quote here and Ed Straw over the race.com talks about this uh, nicely. It has a very in-depth uh, article there. So what the, the key takeaway is, quote, localized compliance and or relative motion between adjacent components, meaning where parts connect, they are still supposed to be rigid. They're supposed to be firm. That there, there shouldn't be any any opportunity for those parts to to flex or change shape or whatever it might be. You know, basically, what they're saying is, as the body as a whole can move, but parts and components into relation to one another are supposed to remain rigid and connected. And then they're also looking at things that may be hidden under rubberized components and covers and things like that. So they're going to be increasing the scope of testing that they do to ensure compliance. And it's interesting too, because the TD doesn't really it doesn't spoke or uh, point the finger directly at say Red Bull or Ferrari or Mercedes or Haas or any other of the uh, you know the the ten teams. But to me, the way that this is being approached by the FIA seems to be like a a blanket statement that to one degree or another, I feel like all the teams are are doing this to 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 some extent, and they they've just gotten to the point that okay, we we know that there's some loopholes here. We're we're going to increase our, uh, our our testing. We're going to put some more strict uh, guidelines and parameters in place so that this is no longer a, a thing. So it's going to be interesting because, you know, uh, when you talk or you hear some of the quotes from the likes of Total Wolf, etc., and uh, Andrea Stella, who talk about, okay, maybe that's not going to slow down Red Bull, but where it might be become interesting is in the, the, the best of the rest where you know they they're saying that this this crackdown could uh, cause some of these uh, cars these teams that have these flexi components on them could cost them a tenth of a second and well Red Bull you know the gap to Red Bull has obviously been closed this year they still have a significant advantage over the other teams but when you get back beyond Red Bull into your Mercedes your Ferraris your McLarens etc you know that that and your Aston Martins that that tenth of a second could really shake things up and you know that maybe I, I don't know if this weekend will really be a stark indication of that but it'll be very interesting to watch over the next several races mark to see you know how this affects uh, any of the teams and if there are any really obvious teams that uh, that either move forward or back and how that uh, changes the order up this is this is a complex topic and I, I think 
to clarify a couple of things. One, there's actually two FIA issue technical directives that are circulating right now. There's TD039, which I'll quickly address. Now, TD039 was introduced in summer of 2022, but this week it has been clarified. And to be clear, TD039 is unrelated to flexible bodywork, flexible aerodynamics. That is related to the fact that it was understood that teams had found a way that the floor plank doesn't wear as much as it potentially should. It sounded like, I think, last year, the FI was sniffing around the fact that maybe some teams were putting some form of insulation or some type of material between the chassis, the carbon fiber tub, and the plank itself. And the FIA now has said, hey, this TD039, which is still active, we are just going to clarify it because we think it's still ongoing. So TD39 has been ongoing since summer 2022, and it got some clarification this week. Now, TD018, this one was actually introduced in 2021. So this isn't new. And it was introduced in the shadow of all those conversations about what we were seeing with the rear wing. And if you remember those conversations, the criticism was that, hey, some of the wings were effectively deforming or bending backwards in straight lines. So when a car was at top speed and the car was under throttle in a straight line, the rear wing was bending. And the benefit to the team is that that wing was bending back. It was reducing drag. Now, if the wing was completely rigid, it would continue to create drag. But there was a criticism that some of the teams had introduced flexible components or flexible materials that allowed those wings to bend in certain situations. So effectively, active aerodynamics. And the only sanctioned active aerodynamics today is the DRS system, although that could change in 2020. And there's all kinds of conversations about that. But the criticism was that, hey, look, some of these teams have bending wings, which go against the rules because they're, well, there's always this kind of understanding that there's going to be some degree of flex in the components because they're carbon fiber. Carbon fiber isn't completely solid. They could be polyurethane and these other materials. Well, there's could be some flex. That flex is supposed to be intrinsic to the material. It's not supposed to be an engineered flex. So in 2021, the FIA introduced two TD018. And then it was withdrawn. And a couple of weeks ago, the FIA sent a a draft version of this technical directive back to the teams and said, we're coming back, baby. We're coming back because we're seeing an awful lot more flex than we would expect to see. So the technical directive, in a sense, is effectively acknowledgement by the FIA team that they know that some or many teams are in fact engineering flexible aerodynamics on their car specifically to reduce drag in certain very specific situations. And what the FIA is now doing is cracking down on the designs that intentionally intentionally use variability in the flexibility of the part, or like you said, movement between interconnected parts rather than being focused on the flexing of the whole assembly and components. So basically teams are very, very sneakily introducing active aerodynamics to reduce drag rag in certain situations. Now, like you said, F1 teams do and absolutely should do everything they can to exploit the regulations. That's half the fun. But this is where it's the role and responsibility of the FIA to come back and push back. And it sounds like they're going to do it in a number of different ways. One is that they're going to do it through their typical compliance checks, which happen to every single Grand Prix. But they're going to start probing much more carefully for surfaces, elements, and structures that have too much give right? They're going to say, this is too soft and this bends too easily. And then they're going to ask to start tearing these parts or these components apart to understand why. And like you said, if there are 
underlying structures that are enabling that flex, then teams will start to get penalized. The teams also, as of I think the 8th, were supposed to submit a list of their documents that illustrate the, the manufacturing process of all of these components. And then the other things the FIA is going to start doing is using video evidence. And you may have seen situations in the past where the FIA will apply dots to aerodynamic surfaces on the cars. They then use video and they review video to see how much these surfaces and these elements deform under under load. So it'll be be very, very, very interesting. Now, the other term that is is important here is aeroelastic aeroelastic characteristics. So there's always this sense that the the surfaces can bend a little bit and the FIA allows that, but there's just too much. And ultimately right now it comes down to the fact that parts are deforming under load and they're returning to their normal shape to create downforce when under less intense loads, such as high speed straights. But ultimately it's understood that teams are engineering aero, active aerodynamics. And the team that we're pointing to most definitively is Aston Martin and specifically their front wing. So it'll be it'll be interesting. So hopefully I think you and I did a pretty good job of trying to summarize this that ultimately teams are getting very 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 tactical and they're pushing the limits of the regulations and they're developing aerodynamic surfaces like the front and the rear wing that bend under certain certain conditions to reduce drag to make the cars faster and I think that's really what it comes down to. And and another thing, maybe you can clarify this for me. Just make sure that uh, I grasp the uh, you know the the gist of this uh, at least. But uh, are they not changing their procedures with the compliance testing? Because the way that I understood the way that this was being explained was that the teams like the way the compliance testing worked was that it could make the teams or the cars look like they were in compliance uh, when in fact that they weren't. Just because so you know like uh, you know the you know the, it would be like the, the 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 flexi wing thing but there might be the flexing in between components and it wouldn't be necessarily picked up in the compliance testing so the FIA has caught on to this realizing okay we're doing something we realize that this is still an issue so we have to do something with our compliance testing to 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 make sure that we can uh, rule this all or not just to rule it out but to to make sure that we're com getting compliance there okay good I just want making sure no, I no, grasp that to, you know you know completely the you know correctly am amus the tre tremendous german publication uh, did an article on td039 and td018 a couple of days ago um and it, it it touched on a couple of interesting things um one is that haas is probably gonna have to change their rear wing um and williams is possibly gonna have to do something on their underfloor um it addresses rumors that the mercedes rear wing could be a focal point of the fia as well as red bull's floor um and that generally within the paddock it's understood that td018 Eight is a much bigger concern to the teams than TD039. And it references here, and this is summarized by Organic Measurement, um, a poster on Reddit. He says, uh, if, you, if you have to change the underfloor because of unintended or intentional flex, um, you max lose a bit of downforce. If, however, the front winged flexed, then the arrow was designed for it. You risk not only the loss of downforce, but also balance problems. And this goes back to what Mike Crack has been saying all summer about the fact that they lost their balance. They lost their balance. And again, it's understood or implicated that at some point this year, the FIA called out Aston Martin for that front wing, they had to change it. They lost downforce as a result, uh, but they also lost balance in the car, which is why their, their mid-season was so disruptive.
Ah, Mr. Daly, I think I think we've beaten this topic to death. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about some of the promises that Aston Martin is making with respect to the development of the AMR24, their 2024 Challenger. We'll see you on the flip side. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton, and joining me as always, my friend, my neighbor, my colleague, my op, Mr. Daly. And before the commercial break, I was teasing another Aston Martin story. So, of course, we were talking a little bit earlier about that maybe, potentially, the FIA had sniffed out some flexible bodywork on that front wing. But what we do know is that Aston Martin is now fully committed to their 2024 Challenger, the AMR24, that the AMR23 is for all mm-hmm. Intents and purposes finished. But one of the things that Mike Crack and team is promising is that their primary focus during the offseason is going to be on aerodynamic efficiency. And when we talk about aerodynamic efficiency, really what we're talking about is the introduction of very slippery surfaces and very, very, very low downforce wings. Because if the Aston Martin has had one major Achilles heel this year, other than the fact that Lance Stroll has been driving one of the two cars, It's that this car is very, very (laughs) slow in a straight line. And we saw this with and Spa, and we saw this in Monza, where the far inferior Williams was absolutely crushing them. The car's been good in in low downforce, um, and sorry, in high downforce and medium downforce corners, but has really struggled when it comes to these power circuits. And that's simply because the car creates, as you've said so many times this year, a ton, a ton of drag. So the challenge for the engineers and the designers at Aston Martin is they're going to need to incorporate some aerodynamic efficiency without disrupting all of the good things that the car has going for it. And that's the challenge. The challenge is accomplishing what Red Bull has done, which is a contender that can be really great on medium and high downforce corners, but also be very good in high speed straights. So that's going to be their challenge. I, I don't know if you, I don't know if you have any thoughts to add here, but I know you've commented multiple times this year that Oh, if not for the dragginess of this car, how much farther could could Fernando Alonso be down the path in terms of that driver's championship? Yeah, this one was interesting because if you look at some of like the 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 V max values for the cars at uh, at the Italian Grand Prix in, in qualifying, Fernando was only eleventh fastest, so he was topping out at three hundred forty six point five kilometers an hour. That's roughly say about uh, two hundred fifteen two hundred sixteen miles per hour, so pretty pretty quick. But the the interesting there the point there is the delta between Fernando and K Mag and the Ferrari. 
Ferrari powered Haas is Fernando is five kilometers an hour slower compared to to to, to Kevin Magnussen. So I mean, obviously the, the the Haas is great straight line speed, but you know, terrible and 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 not so fast uh, through the corners. But it's interesting too that um, the the Aston Martin is also two and a half kilometers an hour slower than Alex Albon's Mercedes powered uh, Williams. So it's uh, you know it, it's not great, but it could be a lot worse. You look at the two Mercedes car. Lewis was only topping out about three hundred and forty and a half kilometers an hour. George was much much slower, three thirty eight point six. So there's some big uh, difference in values there. But it's interesting there too because it is it, it, it's obviously the top speed is is a big concern for them. But um, what, what is also very interesting is that they were unable to really maximize the soft compound uh, tires there and uh, it, it it you know especially at the, the Italian Grand Prix at Monza it's interesting because that sort of suggests that um, that that the fastest or top speed no longer really directly you know relates to you know the to, to lap time it, it's, it's really interesting as these cars evolve and get better that there are so much more than just like oh I gotta have like the, the fastest car at a straight line and this and that there's you know you're, you're really and, and this makes a lot of sense right is to, trying to, to develop and be, design and build a, a car that's a, a good all-rounder and then you're gonna have cars that are just good at certain tracks and other others that aren't but that was very interesting i mean there were some big differences uh in in top speeds at monza which is you know an, an extreme example i mean it's not unusual to see these cars top out at about you know 200 miles an hour plus at a lot of circuits but we get to like monza and uh, say like baku for example that has like that ridiculously long straightaway uh, you know that uh, the uh, towards the end of the lap and then after start finish you know where you, you're getting up to like 220 230 miles an hour is it's just absolutely uh, mind-boggling but yeah that that's been an ongoing area of concern and and focus for 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 Aston Martin and and that's one of the teams that we're going to be looking at with this whole flexi component clampdown and see if that uh, you know affects them because it kind of makes you wonder with the upgrades that they put on the car after Canada how that pushed them back and they were you know it was um you know obviously the upgrade was a downgrade for them because they were quite where Fernando at least was wasn't uh, quite as good. Took him, you know, several races to kind of get back where he was, and they had another setback at uh, at uh, at Monza. So it kind of makes you wonder if they kind of knew what was coming. That they're maybe they're getting focused in on like the whole flexi component thing. But uh, yeah, interesting to to, to watch. You, and see if what's you look at Fernando's there. results in the second half of the season, it it seems logical that his lack of podiums could be attributed to the nature of the circuits that he raced at, right? So in Monza, he finished P9, well, 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 well away from a podium. But in, in Netherlands at Zandvoort, um, he finished P2. And that's a very technical, medium, high downforce circuit where that car should thrive. So that's not a surprise. Belgium, uh, which of course is a power track, he finished P5, which was probably a great result, all things considered. Hungary, P9. Great Britain, another power track, P7. Austria, P5. Spain, P7. So there, there certainly seems to be a 
correlation. But the other correlation here could be exactly what you and I were just alluding to, which is, hey, the team was forced to introduce a new wing or modify their existing wing, which disrupted the balance in the car and is causing all kinds of havoc. Uh, but it's probably not a surprise that mm-hmm. his results at these power circuits like like Great Britain and, and Belgium and, and Monza are certainly not of a podium variety. And of course, Lance Stroll's results are just generally mediocre to poor anyway, so that's not a good point of reference. Now we're going to move on to a, another story, and this is one that's been around for a while, and it's just not going away, and that is uh, Felipe Massa and his uh, legal challenge uh, to overturn the result of the 2008 World Championship, which is uh, currently, and I should uh, you know say that this is Lewis's championship. Anyways, uh, Felipe has uh, assembled a legal team, a global uh, legal team of uh, of sports law experts and, and experts in general. And they uh, they subpoenaed or served uh, the FIA and Formula One management, uh, you know, a couple of months ago. And the deadline that they had, uh, to, you know, in that, uh, that lawsuit is coming up uh, pretty quick here within the next couple of days. And they haven't actually like closed the door, but they, they basically said that if we don't receive a, uh, a response from you or it's an inadequate uh, response, we're just going to basically uh, push ahead. Whereas I guess if they get some sort of reasonable communication from from the the official side then uh, they're they're willing to you know engage in some sort of dialogue <clears throat> Excuse me, but it's uh, th- this goes back to 2008 and the the whole alleged cover up of the whole Crashgate scandal, which Nelson Piquet uh, Jr. crashed uh, and uh, gave Fernando Alonso the win, and then eventually at the end of the season, Felipe Massa loses the World Championship uh, to Lewis Hamilton by a single point. He believes that he is the the, the rightful for you know 2008 uh, World Champion, and uh, he and his legal team believe that they have a very very solid case. Um, it's interesting because a couple of the key players uh, in, involved, uh, Max Mosley and Charlie Whiting, they have since uh, passed away. Um, you know, Charlie Whiting might have had some information, as is Ma- Ma- Max Mosley, one of the other people that, uh, that that is still alive. Although, you know, getting up there in years now is Bernie Ecclestone, who profits, profited immensely in 40 years at the top of uh, Formula One. And Mark, this is not going away a- anytime soon. And the interesting thing is that, that Felipe and his team are saying this is not about the money this is about bringing dude, this championship dude, 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 dude. home let's stop right there so when we talked about this okay. a couple of weeks ago remember they were yeah. very so when i say they i talk about felipe massa and his legal team they were very clear this yep. was about lost commercial opportunity not about yes. changing Great point. The, the, the history books and to your point now the objective and quote unquote from bernardo viana 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 I, I apologize for felipe massa's lawyer quote unquote the objective is to bring the trophy home dot 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 it's not financial. So a few weeks ago is camp it's about the lost commercial opportunity of having not been a world champion Fast forward a couple of weeks, it is strictly about rewriting the history books. And this is this is crazy. And of course, I think you maybe alluded to this a couple of seconds ago, but really all of this was triggered by a Bernie interview recently in which he acknowledged that he knew what happened early enough that the FIA and FOM should have had 
taken action during the 2008 season before the title was ultimately decided. So that's kind of the premise here, which is one, hey, Bernie knew, he knew in 2008, he should have taken action before the championship was decided. And like you said, uh, it was also revealed that Charlie Whiting also knew and that he was informed during the 2008 season. Now, the FIA statutes, and this is where it gets a little bit kind of legalese, they indicate that a championship cannot be overturned, which of course, masses lawyers disagree with, otherwise they wouldn't be pursuing this. Uh, but the challenge is going to be this, that the FIA did an investigation already in 2009, and they still didn't overturn the result. They didn't change the results of that race in a way that would have been favorable to Felipe Massa. And, and I think the, the argument is, if they did the investigation in 2009, and they didn't overturn the results... What would have been different if they'd done the investigation in season in 2008 as soon as they'd found out? Would they have, would they have overturned the results then? This is, this is where it gets very, very complex. The other thing that's worth noting here too, and I looked into this, is Ferrari is not a part of this. They are not supporting Felipe Massa. Yeah. So they, they potentially could benefit from this as well, right? That they they lost a driver's championship that that season. Of course, Lewis Hamilton won it, his first title with McLaren and his second season in the Formula One championship. But they could also gain here because they get another notch because right now their last title was the 2007 title with Kimi Raikkonen. They could be in a position where they gain. So I, I, I don't know. This is, this is very, very, very interesting. And the other big piece too is it just, it throws into question 2021 again. And again, the difference was in 2008, mm-hmm. Renault flagrantly cheated. They flagrantly cheated. And if not a cover-up, then at least some senior figures, including Max Mosley and Bernie Eccleston, chose not to investigate it because they didn't want the bad press. They didn't mm-hmm. want the backlash from, from the fact that it had happened. And of course, it ultimately became a big backlash and it broke in 2009 in a very, very ugly way. The FIA investigated and ultimately did nothing meaningful. And I think you and I talked about what happened to some of the senior leadership from Renault a few weeks ago, but there was no alteration to the outcome of that race that Fernando Alonso kept his race victory. Uh, but ultimately, this is this is fascinating. And, and, and if it continues to be pursued, what's to say there isn't pressure on, and I don't think Lewis would do it. I think he's made peace with this in his mind, but it, it throws into question not just this championship, but certainly 2021, uh, because of the way that that race was officiated and then potentially other races and other championships is a super slippery slope for F1. And ultimately if Bernie and Max Mosley had addressed it in real time in season in 2008, we wouldn't be here daily 15 years later talking about it. And, and, and that's the whole crux of the issue, right? Is they didn't deal with it then. It's like, okay, you, you can go, maybe go down that conspiracy pathway. At the very best, they, they chose to ignore it and just kind of like hope it would go away and not become a thing. Obviously, 15 years later, it's still a thing. But the whole timing of the response that they want from the FIA and FOM is, you know, timed, you know, you know, conveniently around the 2023 Singapore Grand Prix, which is this weekend when the original incident happened at the 2008 Singapore Grand Prix. So I find that, you know, that the timing's quite interesting and the way that this keeps uh, coming back and the way that they pivoted away from, yeah, lost during 
earnings and and all that uh, you know financial um, you know opportunities that 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 disappeared because Felipe didn't have that accolade of 2008 Formula One World Champion on his resume and 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 all those opportunities and endorsements etc that he would have uh, obviously benefited from to all of a sudden yeah it's not about the money it's about you know setting things right and 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 it's interesting too like his legal team obviously is not saying a lot they're they're playing their cards awfully close to their their chest which you would expect them to do but like his uh, lawyer like you said Viviani has uh, kind of hinted that the that um or the way that I kind of read between the lines seemed to be around the language you know that they had like 14 days to appeal to overturn the results or whatever it was and it, I kind of felt like that seems to maybe sort of their focus I mean we're, we're not going to hear anything until this ever comes to light maybe it will maybe it won't but uh at, at the very least Formula One has a um, you know a, a major issue on their their hand, and you brought back twenty twenty one. I can't help but wonder if uh, you know the seeds for Felipe's um, you know challenge here may have been rooted in the shenanigans, and let's just you know call them for what they were. What happened at uh, Abu Dhabi a, a couple of years ago, and uh, kind of maybe re- you know, triggered something in, in Felipe to like, hey, let's let's take a look at uh, a look at this that look. They they did this to Lewis, who was running away with this, and we got all this, you know, messing around with unlapped cars, etc. And and look what happened to me that night. Got you know, robbed of a world championship as well. So. I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's like you you try to sue and and you know slap like the organizer of the championship with a lawsuit, and they kind of like make the rules. I guess where, where does this end up? Like the international court for sport arbitration or, or something like that. I, I'm not really sure where they could where this would play out and and what sort of like recourse and remedies and stuff like that. But you know, like I say, the two things I find interesting at the moment is that the timing of the uh, you know the 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 basically the line in the sand before it's like okay well we don't like the the lack of um you know action on your behalf or it's a lukewarm or you know disinterested response so we're just going to proceed you know all coincides with the you know the 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 2023 singapore grand prix you know 15 years down the line i want to use this as an opportunity to segue to another topic that is very likely or very possibly headed for the courts and AMUS is reporting something that you and I have speculated about for a couple of months now, which is they are going to announce this month, September 2023, that they are going to support the Andretti bid to join the Formula One championship. Now, where this gets very, very sticky is that the FOM, the commercial rights body, uh, would argue that they also have to give this bid uh, a stamp of approval. I, I think the concern now in legal circles is that may not be the case, that an FIA approval might be sufficient for Andretti to join the grid, and it may significantly um, increase the amount of pressure that will be on the FOM, Liberty, to negotiate with Andretti when the inevitable happens. And the inevitable being that the FIA will approve Andretti, it will be the only bid. High tech, which was another very strong candidate, is not going to get approved, and they're likely not going to be approved because they don't have the backing of a major manufacturer. But it's it's now generally 
understood that the FIA will approve them for an entry on the grid as soon as 2025. Now, where this gets very, very messy is that if the FOM doesn't approve, um, it's very likely that this will head straight to the courts and that Andretti will possibly be very, very successful. Um, it could end up in a scenario where Andretti ends up on the grid and competes for the championship, but is excluded from the Concord Agreement and in, in turn championship prize money. It could end up in a situation where Andretti joins the championship as regulated by the FIA, but gets no commercial exposure, including the fact that their cars may not appear during a television broadcast. But all of this is creating an immense amount of pressure that Stefano Domenicali is going to have to address. Because I think once the FIA gives Andretti the stamp of approval... I don't know what grounds Liberty is going to have to to kind of discard this bid. And we know what they're going to say, right? Which is, we want to keep our 10 existing teams happy. They have a pot of money that they share from sponsorships and race hosting fees that's distributed through the Constructors' Championship, and they don't want to split that in 11th way. And Andretti will argue, well, if we join the grid, that pot's going to get bigger, so nobody's going to lose out. And then ultimately, FOM's going to say, hey, as per the Concord Agreement, you need to pay uh, basically an expansion fee, but we think it needs to be renegotiated. So all of this to say, um, it's very, very, very interesting what's going to happen over the next three weeks, because I don't know if FOM have legal grounds to dismiss the Andretti bid if they get an FIA contract. And this is this is an article that's been translated from the AMUS, um, but it says, and I quote, Nevertheless, once approved by the FIA, it will not be so easy to reject Andretti. The Formula One headquarters must find very good reasons to doubt the licensing granted by the FIA. In the event of a rejection, F1 faces the same problem that the FIA also has in refusing an applicant a license. In 2000... In 2000, the EU Commission forced the FIA to change its sporting law as part of a directive regarding participation in motorsports events. Article 2 states that the participation of a team cannot be prevented or hindered unless the association cites security reasons or has legitimate concerns that such participation would jeopardize fair and orderly proceedings. With this justification, Andretti obviously cannot be rejected. And if the FIA can't do it, F1 will also have a hard time proving the reasons mentioned, especially since Andretti is a well-known name in motorsports and engine partner General Motors is a global corporation that should be beyond any doubt. For the FIA, there's also the fear of a long and costly legal dispute if one of the rejected applicants does not accept the test results. So the Pandora's box here, man, the Pandora's box was opened the minute the FIA initiated their expressions of interest process back in February. The minute they did that and the minute Andretti Ready submitted their bid, they were effectively a lock. Whether F1 wanted it or not, they were effectively a lock to join the championship. Now, the other consideration here is we're talking about 25, 25, 25. If they do get that spot, if if FOM's hand is forced, that's a very aggressive timeline. And you and I have talked about this before, that Andretti wants to be on the grid for 2025. But logically, it doesn't make sense to spend all this time and money developing a car 
for one season that would be scrapped in time for 26, that ultimately their better effort is to plan for 2026. But this is going to be fascinating. And, and it's also going to ratchet up the tension between Mohamed Ben Salem and Stefano Domenicali because Domenicali is like no more teams and, 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 and Mohamed Ben Salem. So like more teams, more teams, more teams. And almost in, almost in a sense of spiting, F F one they they initiated that that expression of interest process so man fascinating yeah and it, and again I think I mentioned the last time that we we, we talked about this story that it's interesting that all of a sudden that uh, Mohammed Ben Suleim has become very silent on this subject I mean he was he was pretty out there and very outspoken on this you know several months ago and it's just like it's almost like like you say that when you as this unfolds and it seems that the way that Andretti's gone and done this from certain points of view it's like like you say they become like a lock so maybe somebody said put a word in uh, Ben Suleim ear it's just like you know be careful what you say because this could you know cause some problems so it's probably probably better we don't say anything more at this point in time but you know th- it's just incredible though that they could actually get on the t- like on the grid and then their cars may not Isn't even make it crazy? onto your screen it's just like Right. You know, it's just like I can understand at certain points, like during the race, it would be very difficult, like at the starts. It's just like, what if an Andretti car is on row yeah. one? Yep. Like, do they pixelate out this car or something or they blur it out you know it's just like do you, do you have like a drone fly down the side of the track with a big sheet attached or something I, i'm being silly but you know what i mean it, it's 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 crazy like uh that you know i mean we've seen some weird things in sports just across the board like in general over the years but this would be i think like the like the weirdest you know, of the weird it's funny man because the more i begun to understand the consequences of the EU commission decisions back in 2000, the more I realized that, you know what, it it is kind of the right of any team that is financially self-sufficient mm-hmm. and even moderately capable to join the Formula One grid, that if the FIA opens up the an expressions of interest process and you submit a bid and you, you're even half competent, you almost have the legal right to join the championship. And the FIA has opened that Pandora's yeah. box and now it's going to be up to F1 that do we want to make this clean and easy and negotiate with Andretti and kind of bring him on in this kind of really welcoming kind of expansionist era where we embrace this great new American team? Or do we continue to bury our heads in the sand and fight against it, knowing that the EU commission basically has stipulated that you don't have a choice at this point? And then if the FOM wants to be total jerks about this, exactly like you described, they they will basically block them from every commercial endeavor. They will not be used in media. They will not be used on the broadcast. They will pixel out the cars. Like This could be really ugly. So I think the FIA has really forced Liberty's hands here. And Stefano Domenicali, and the teams are going to have to negotiate with Andretti and just get this to a place where they all find it's reasonable. And I don't know what that is or where that's going to be, but I just think Andretti joining the grid yep. at this point is a total inevitability. You know, uh, over the course of this segment, Mark, I formed an opinion 
Andretti is now my favorite Formula One team. They are the anti-establishment, we do the hell what we want team. It's the American, I don't care what you say, we're going to do what we want. We're going to come into Formula One, we're going to kick your butts. So I love it. I'm a, I'm team Andretti all the way now. So it's just, I don't know. It's just such a crazy situation that all these things could, uh, could, could play out. And again, it just... Uh, it it just kind of like bothers me. Like I, I I understand like the team's points of view, and of course there's there's vested interests. But I mean, Andretti are like proven winners. They're just not some, you know. There's a couple of pretty good examples of teams on the grid that aren't really pulling their weights, and they they haven't been. Uh, no names uh, need to be mentioned, but I'm sure just read between the lines who that is. But they're coming in with with GM. I mean, sure, it would be a read badge at to least Renault for a couple engine of years. In, at least in for the a meantime. couple of years. It, it, yeah, I mean, you got to take that into in, into consideration. But I mean, it's going to take them a couple of years to get kind of going. But it's just like what is like what what's the beef like like what is the like the resistance and the pushback and 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 like I say that. The more that the pushback goes, the, the more like you know that kind of like irks me, and I kind of want to say like the more they push Daily, back, the more I want I, to see dude, Andretti totally succeed. Agree. Right? And I have probably been the biggest supporter of the existing institution that I have been backing the teams and FOM from the mm-hmm. jump. That nobody is inherent, like nobody inherently has the right to a spot in F1. You need to spend, you need to contribute a billion dollars. You need to have a works team and you have to manufacture your own engine. Like I'm rooting for Andretti at this point, man. Like I have no sympathy for Haas who delivers zero value to the championship, but takes so much out of it. I have zero sympathy for Williams. Mm-hmm. I have zero sympathy for Alpha Tauri. I have zero sympathy sympathy for the team previously known as Alfa Romeo Sauber. Of course, they're be- going to become Audi and that's going to be a more likable institution. But ultimately, like, there's a lot of teams mm-hmm. on the grid right now that probably shouldn't be there. Haas, zero value to the championship, zero value. Alpha Tauri, negative value in the sense that they actually undermine the competitive nature of the championship. Like there's, uh, I- I'm certainly rooting for them like you are. And I just, I hope when it happens, FOM, calls up Andretti and they get together in a hotel boardroom and they just bang out a deal that makes everybody look good. That it looks like they're being welcomed to the grid Mm -hmm. and they agree to an expansion fee that is amenable to the teams. But ultimately, the other thing they should have done, and you and I have been saying this for years, they should have just forced the sale of AlphaTauri, right? Like Andretti should have just had the opportunity to buy that team. Then you don't add an 11th team to the grid. You don't have to invest in new infrastructure at every circuits to accommodate a new garage. Like that's what they should have done. But uh, it's not very logical, apparently. Yeah, you know, as as much as I realize that, like, the, say the the sports franchise model that we see in in North America, and the NBA, the NFL, etc., it, it's not always great. But I mean, it does give like the like the, the the league the opportunity that if a team is like absolutely being run in horrible circumstances, I mean, they they reserve the right to come in there and basically revoke the the right of ownership to that franchise and put it in the hands of a you know a, a, another entity, another you know group that can. Run, run it properly or properly, and that's the one thing that sort of like bugs me about the whole thing. Um, you know, to to a certain extent too, is just like I kind of hate things like protectionism and cronyism, and you know, like the, the like the network kind of pulling together to exclude someone else. When there's there's worse example like on the you know, like the, the in crowd, like like you mentioned, that are are taking more out, and they're just there to kind of you know you know they don't want to share the rest. I mean, I I think that. 
Andretti has made like a pretty good case, and they're you know they, they've you know, rounded up a pretty good cast of characters. If you go through that AMS AUMS um, article, and if you even just do like the the Google Translate thing in there, there's all these you know like you know key points like the criteria that they meet to to, to uh, you know to meet or exceed to be considered right, and they they tick all those boxes on that checklist. So at, at this point, it's just like 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 what's the problem? Like where's the where's the issue here okay uh mark let's uh just uh, go on to a couple more things oh, just and we, one more uh, thing gotta too. Jump by the way shout out preview. the, the okay, translated please, yeah. amus article i was reading was contributed by <laughs> this is the reddit username i just get such a kick out of this trolley mctrollstein which i thought was a great reddit great reddit name <laughs> a nice play on the old uh, Bodie famous Bodie face, baby. face uh, i suppose <laughs> okay so last one we just need to t- touch on this really quickly this is going back to to alex palu uh who said that uh, he's not going to be going to any uh, mclaren races uh, anytime soon or formula one races uh, anytime soon but yeah it kind of makes you wonder where, where you know alex's future lies if he's going to stay in indycar just wait to play the long game and see what other opportunities may or uh, may arise within uh, formula one okay mark let's get into the uh, the, the race preview as we um uh, as we've been talking about uh, hinting here and there singapore grand prix this weekend this is a race that's been on the calendar since uh, 2008 uh, we skipped a, a year or two there obviously during covid so it's uh th- this is a night race it's a it's a street circuit I have to admit that uh, you know it's a street circuit, so you kind of take uh, you know take what you can get. It's it's tight, it's twisty, it's technical. You know you can go and uh, look at all the track analysis, and you can talk about taking too much curb here or sticking to the middle of the track here. Take this line through this series of corners. L- let's just boil it down to its simplest: that if you put a wheel wrong either way, you're going into the wall. It's not as crazy as Jeddah in Saudi Arabia because that's fast, it's twisty, it's 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 dangerous. This isn't quite uh, that uh, you know, quite as bad or as extreme as uh, as Saudi Arabia is, but still, it's a very technical track. It's got some fast sections where the cars are going to top out at about a 190, maybe 195 miles an hour, and then the, the you know, like the slow portions of the track are very very slow. So what what we have in uh, general, it's a it's a 4.94 kilometer or a 3.07 mile track, 19 turns. So the, uh, the the race lap record was set back in 2018 by Kevin Magnuson's 141.905, and that's uh, after they did a little bit of a reprofiling. Uh, they um, that with uh, turn 16 and 17, and that uh, you know changed the previous lap record, which was set by Lewis back in 2017, was a 145.008. So a, a big change right uh, then and there. So just uh, before we talk a little bit more, so looking ahead to the um, to the weather forecast. So the um, qualifying goes at uh, 9 p.m. local time in uh, Marina Bay, Singapore. So at uh, qualifying time Saturday night, we're looking at about 29 degrees Celsius, 84 Fahrenheit. But this is killer, 80% humidity. It's going to be hot. It's going to be sticky. It's going to be a, a long session for the drivers, especially on Sunday. Sunday, the race kicks off uh, 8 p.m. local time. Same thing. It's going to be, well, it's going to be partly cloudy Saturday, looking for a, a cloudy 
cloudy, uh, you know, weather conditions on Sunday at race time. Same uh, same temperatures, more or less 28 Celsius, 83 Fahrenheit. Again, about 80 percent uh, humidity. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be a long one for the, uh, the the drivers to be in the car for that. So. You know, Mark, it is, uh, it, it's a long one. So it's a 62 laps, fairly long lap, uh, you know, about uh, one, what, what did I say? One minute 41. It, you know, it feels like this race takes a long time to watch from, from green light to, to checkered flag. Uh, you know, we've had 21 races here over the, 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 the years. The most winningest driver, Sebastian Vettel, has uh, five race victories. Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull are the most winningest uh, constructors. And and the big question is now, I mean, there's been some talk about this, that uh, this may be a track that doesn't suit Red Bull. This might actually be a track that is a, um, you know, more suited to um, uh, Mercedes. Um, and I should just kind of qualify too when I say it's been run 23 times, I think it was 21 times. I should mention in the years, uh, 66 to 73, they were non-championship uh, races. And then it's only in the modern era. So 15 years since 2008, when it's been uh, part of the, of the Formula One championship, you know, including, or not including the two years uh, during COVID, but going back to it, Mark, do you think that uh, perhaps this is one of those opportunities that Mercedes or Ferrari or Aston Martin- It is the only opportunity left on the calendar for that to happen. And- Oh, you're yeah, you're actually going to go that far and say it is and, the old, you know, okay. Helmut Marco alluded to this last week, right? We shared that quote where he says, "Hey, if we can win in Singapore, like we can, we can do it the rest of the way." And right. You 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 right. kind of touched on a couple of things, which is it is very much the definition of a street circuit. It is very tight. It is very technical. It is relatively low speed. I think after Monaco, which has, I think, an average lap speed of about 153 kilometers, it is the second slowest at 164 kilometers, or at least the average medium lap uh, speed. Uh, that said, it's going to be faster this year because, and we'll talk about this in a couple of minutes, they've significantly reconfigured some of the very technical portions, and it's actually now a 19-corner lap as opposed to 23, which is going to be massive for tire management and really great for the drivers and also really great for keeping the brakes cool, meaning they can probably carry a little bit more speed in some of the other sections of the track. But I, I think I like it and, and I'll kind of get to your question quickly, but to me, it's a beautiful track, the stunning backdrop. It passes notable landmarks, including the Singapore yes. Flyer, Supreme Court yep. and Parliament. It incorporates Esplanade Ave or Esplanade Ave or Drive and the Anderson Bridge, which was built like a hundred years ago. It's very, very pretty. It's very, very beautiful. But to answer your question, I think for the reasons that you described that if you make a mistake here, it is very consequential. One, because there is no forgiveness. If you hit that wall, your suspension is done and your race is over. You're done. And if you make a mistake in qualifying, it's going to be a scramble for your team to get your car together. And if you make a mistake in practice, or you make a mistake in qualifying, it's very likely you're going to lose a gearbox, which means maybe you take a penalty, uh, like a grid penalty. If you damage your suspension, hey, you know what? You maybe miss a practice session or you miss a qualifying. Like there's all sorts of consequences to making a mistake here. The reason that this is potentially helpful for AMR or for Mercedes or even maybe a Ferrari is the fact that this might be that one opportune opportunity for uh, a driver like Sergio or Max to make a mistake or for somebody else to make a mistake when they're not leading the race, which maybe gives somebody else the opportunity to, to 
I would say, capitalize on, on a race win, that there are some things and some circumstances that could arise here that could pave the way, no pun intended, for a victor other than Sergio Perez and, and Max Verstappen. And one, I think it starts with qualifying, that if Max doesn't have a great qualifying session, you know that's going to put him on the back heel because overtaking here is particularly challenging. So maybe there's something there. And you know we've seen Max not qualify and pull a couple of times this year. And you know by lap 5, 10, 15, he's typically taken the lead. That's going to be much more challenging for him here. And overtaking is much more risky because the reward is high. The risk is also equally high because the walls are so close and they're so tight and there's not much overtaking space. But I just, I think there's an opportunity. Now, if Max qualifies on pole, um, there's still an opportunity because there's very likely going to be a safety car deployed. There could be red flags and there's opportunity to bunch up the field again. And then there's always the mayhem that potentially, um, comes as a result of that. Now, if you remember 2017, we've even seen crazy things happen. Again, that was a wet race, but we've seen crazy things happen yeah, in the very yeah. first corner of this Grand Prix. But that said, if if Max or Sergio wins here, I have zero confidence that somebody other than a Red Bull driver will win the rest of the way, if that answers your question. Yeah, no, that that's fair enough. And uh, it's interesting too. You're just talking about qualifying. Like one of the, uh, there was some great insight from from Nico Rosberg on his YouTube channel, like doing the the, the track analysis. And he was saying, and and this was, a, I thought, a very very interesting uh, comment that when it comes to like your qualifying, your hot lap, you know, being like a fairly long circuit, especially for a street circuit, by the time you're getting to the end of that hot lap, your your rear tires are overheating. So one of the like that the, the hacks that the more experienced drivers are doing are shifting the brake balance to the front wheels towards the end of the lap there just uh, and and he said that was one of those little uh, things that he picked up on that helped him clinch the pole in 2016 so there's a lot of a little uh, different things here but like you say it's it's very very unforgiving because if you put a wheel wrong you're into those concrete barriers and that just has the potential to to, to spoil everything so i mean the the one thing that we you know it's sounds like it's it should be fairly stable this weekend is the weather we've seen you know because that that 2017 incident where the ferraris took themselves out uh, at the start of the race there was that not a damp track i i believe um it wasn't out and out raining but it it was wet as as far as i remember we're not going to see any rain at least at the moment i know we're still still a couple of days out here i mean it's it, it's wednesday evening here on the west coast as we record this podcast right now so the weather it does look kind of stable but i mean it's hot it's sticky it's it's going to be uncomfortable it's going to be a very physically demanding race for the drivers to be in the car in you know like sort of 30 degrees ish centigrade temperatures plus the you know the length of the race plus the humidity plus the physical exertion of driving around this long track and all, all these you know tight technical corners is um, it's going to be very very tiring for them should also mention that uh, pirelli's bringing the softest tire compounds in their range the c3 hards the c4 mediums and the c5 soft so uh, we'll see like um you know i i'm just interested because you see these comments from checo the comments from max the comments from from helmet marco and christian horner they're really downplaying their 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 chances that uh, you know this could be a bit of a wild card weekend that that somebody else could come in here and, and play a spoiler because you know it it is it's it's a unique track i 
I mean, even you know, for 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 street uh, circuits. So it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be a uh, something we're going to have to just watch very very closely throughout all the the di- different sessions, especially during qualifying and yeah, and, and, and regardless race, of who does win, I, I think one thing that we will certainly see this time or this weekend is lap records will drop. And I alluded a couple of minutes ago to the fact that there's some changes mm. this year. the The final sector at Singapore had a very complex series of kind of squared turns. Um, and they've actually removed those. So I'm going to read here from skysports.com. The construction of multi-purpose outdoor venue NS Square means turns 16, 17, 18, and 19 have been removed. So the track will no longer go under the grandstand towards the end of the lap. Instead, there will now be a straight from turn 15 to the old turn 20 and 21 chicane, which will now be the turn 16 and 17 chicane. This will put less stress on the tires and give the drivers a bit of a breather too. So by taking out those technical turns that we just alluded to here, turns 16, 17, 18, and 19, one, it's going to take a lot less out of the tires. It's going to put a lot less strain on on the brakes. And these are the type of corners that drivers hate. These slow, heavy, technical corners, they despise them. And like you said, it's going to be blisteringly hot. It's going to be humid. Drivers will regularly argue that this is one of the most challenging and physically draining events on the calendar. So by taking out those corners and putting in that straight, one, it's going to be great for the drivers. It's going to speed up the laps um, and maybe create slightly more opportunity for overtaking, but also maybe take out some of the consequence or risk of crashes because it's typically in those corners where you would see a driver make a mistake, although they are pretty low downforce, um, low speed corners. But again, I, I happy to see this. It mm-hmm. was, it's funny because it's not like the race organizers necessarily engineered this change to improve racing. It was almost a necessity because of some infrastructure changes that were happening near the circuit. But I'm very, very, very happy to see that change. Yeah, I agreed too. And if you look at uh, the, the 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 difference between last year and this year, you still uh, you come into turn fifteen, which is still very much the same. But you know, previously, when you get to like a, to, to turn fifteen, it sort of curves or dog legs to the left. Then you're throwing it hard right into turn sixteen, hard left turn seventeen, hard left again into turn eighteen, and then hard right into nineteen, hard right into turn twenty, hard left into twenty one. You're going into turn twenty two, and you're coming around to start finish. And uh, you start to start the next lap. I mean, just looking at it, I mean, th- this is a case where the like the change that was you know like impressed upon them, uh, were is is going to increase. I think the the the, the momentum and the flow of a lap around uh, Marina Bay. So I, I'm very much uh, looking forward to see how that uh, changes the the the, the, the racing because you're going to come out of that very very sharp right hander at uh, turn 14. It looks to be about a 120 degree corner to the right. Then you're going to come through that flick at uh, at turn 15 and for for a brave driver you know there there might be an opportunity going into that uh, that right hander that sharp right hander what is now the new turn 16 the old uh, turn 20 so like you say hammy it might uh, promote some some overtaking uh, opportunities so that would uh, certainly be a, a welcome uh, advantage but i i always hated that uh, that last sequence of uh, corners you know it just it it felt like a lap around Marina Bay always felt uh, very, well, it was always very, um, you know, labored. I love that word. You know, I love not that just word. for the drivers, but but e- 
even for and, us and if you race Singapore home, right? on the PS5 and the Xbox in a simulator, that that last sector was yep. such a chore, man. It's yeah. So I, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy to see it gone, and hopefully, it simulates some better racing and and faster lap times. But should be yep. should be fun. Should be fun this weekend, man. Do you do you have any predictions? Again, do you want to be bold and suggest it won't be a Red Bull driver? Because I'm not that bold. I'm not that brave. I just I think that Max will, will qualify <laughs> well, and he'll take this race victory. Um, I think Mercedes will have a strong weekend, possibly Ferrari. Um, I just I can't see anybody but Max winning this race, man. Yeah, you, you know, like it's it's my brain says one thing, but my heart says another. And it, it would just be nice to see somebody else win this year. I, I, again, I mean, I, I don't want to downplay the the impressive nature of what uh, accomplishment of what uh, what Max and Red Bull have done, not just this season, but last season, last couple of years. But uh, it would just uh, for, from the, the, the point of sake and I mean, the championships are already wrapped up, but just from, um, you know, an enjoyment point of view, it would be great to see. Lewis or or George or Charles or Carlos or Lando or Logan or Alex or any one of these other drivers win this race but uh, it, it really you know I think it is this um you know the language you know the the statements coming from you know the the, the Red Bull camp you know are, are they just kind of like downplaying things and you know they're still going to be as dominant as ever or is this like a a bit of an admission from them that they are going to struggle um or not or like you say they're just going to go out there and beat everyone you know we're just going to have to sit back and speculate for the next couple of days until we get to qualifying on Saturday. But uh, it would just be a nice change of pace. And then as we kind of get through the, the last number of races this year and hope that uh, that, that next year the racing's a, a lot closer and that, you know, they, they, they've earned their, 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 you know, the, their accolades and their championships. But, you know, we need somebody else to win. Dude, I, and I'll just, <laughs> we'll, maybe we leave it on this, but I would just, I would say that for the sake yep. of, of the championship. And I would say for the sake of every podcaster, every TV network, every fan out there, like we need a different, we need a different winner that, you know, it's one thing in the NFL. And I love that you keep making this kind of reference to the Miami dolphins, but yeah, maybe the dolphins won all of their games, but other teams still had the opportunity to win the games they were playing that weren't against the dolphins. Like the other nine teams on the grid don't have that opportunity. They don't get to go to a grand prix that red Bull's not competing in that. It's just, I don't think any of us want mm-hmm. to sit here in 2024 and talk about the perfect season that we we want to see somebody else win. And I think you and I are pretty open about this, that, hey, look, we look at those US TV ratings and yeah, they're they're favorable, favorable kind of from a comp perspective, but they're still so small, man, relative to every other major professional sport. Like I tweeted the other day that that Jets game drew 20 million people, 20 million just, people, yeah. that's 20 times yeah. what an F1 race gets. I mean, we're excited, but I would say knowing a lot of people that are creating F1 content and podcasts, like numbers are crashing and it's not because people aren't creating great content and it's not because people aren't interested in F1. It's just We've all everyone's checked out on this championship, man. There's there's nothing left, and you know we talked at the top about the fact that that Red Bull here on going into the weekend of September 16th could theoretically tie up the constructors championship this weekend. That it is officially over. You know what I mean? Like we've been saying for a while that hey, you know it really yeah. it's all but mathematically over. Soon it will be mathematically over. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing, right? When when it, it when the business is all done, like 
<clears throat> excuse me, where's the motivation to keep watching? We've got the NFL regular seasons just started up. NHL and NBA is just weeks around the corner. World Series is coming up. College football is in full swing. There are so many other things to go and watch where, you know, it's it's either getting to like that that end of the seasons we're seeing with with, the, with Major League Baseball. The other big leagues are spooling up. There's there's just too many other, you know, things to to, to watch where there's there's everything still to play for, right? And th- th- those numbers will continue to dwindle. And I guess the big question becomes now, how many of these folks come back in March 24 oh, daily. when the next that's, championship that's the uh, question, dials right? up that and gets going, we, right? We always see, yeah. there's always yeah. a surge in interest at the beginning of the season. But this year, I think as soon as people realize two or three races into the championship that this was a Red Bull, this was going to be a Red Bull dominated championship. So many people tuned out. And, and it's funny, like I'm a part of so many WhatsApp groups and like teams message groups that in 20 and 21 and 22 even were very active and they're all dormant now, man. They're just dormant. And I I don't, I don't blame people. And I don't know what the answer is because the answer could be that F1 pressures the FIA to start instituting uh, directives and regulatory changes to kind of claw back some of Red Bull's advantage. But we don't want to see that, right? Like we don't want to see regulation changes for the sake of clawing in a team that engineered their way to 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 dominance. But at the mm-hmm. same time, we also don't want oh, agreed, this. And, agreed. and I think there were some comments earlier this week from Mercedes, again, acknowledging that, hey, look, we lost in 2021 because there were regulation changes designed to minimize our advantage and and things like that. Now, just a quick summary. So we have Singapore this weekend. So September 15th to 17th. Uh, the week after we have Japan. Uh, two weeks after that, we're in Doha. Um, two weeks after that, we are in the US. So obviously, Austin always uh, creates a, a big crowd and a, and a lot of buzz. A uh, week after that, we are in Mexico City, a race I always like. A week after that, we are in Brazil. Um, two weeks after that, we are back in the US for the Las Vegas Grand Prix. So I think regardless of what happens with the championship, there'll be a lot of interest and focus on Vegas because I think we're all interested to see what that looks like and what the atmosphere is like. And then remarkably, just one week, just one week after the Las Vegas Grand Prix, the championship concludes uh, in the United States. Arab Emirates uh, at Yas Island in Abu Dhabi. So that kind of wraps up the championship. So eight races left, Mr. Daly. <laughs> that that seems does, like eh? a it lot. Does. I can't I keep feeling like there, there's like five or six races left uh, at most. Uh, but one uh, last thing there for you, you go. before we Anyways, go, uh, before you know, Aaron Rodgers, yeah, sure. Aaron Rodgers, okay. what the heck happened? Oh man, was that crazy or what? But it, it just like as soon as he went down like that, and and I'm not a Jets fan, uh, by the way. I'm and I'm I'm not going to hate on them, but it just seemed like. Yeah, but of course it would happen, right? Four snaps that 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 he plays before he goes down, and it looked like a very very innocent thing. But he gets up and then he gets back down. It's just like, here's the guy. I mean, four time MVP. I mean, what what a great player Aaron Rodgers has been in the NFL for for all those years, and you know he becomes like that that. You know that focal point. You know that 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 player that can take the Jets back to the postseason. To even talk, maybe he's a player that could help. You know, you know, maybe takes them to to the Super Bowl, and then for it to end the way that it did. Oh my God! You could feel the life getting sucked out of MetLife Stadium, and I I just felt horrible for 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 the for you know for obviously for Aaron, but for the you know for their fans, for the team. But uh, 
wow, what <laughs> that that game did not end the way that it did. Like I think a lot of people did, but I mean, let let's be fair. The Bills turned over that ball a lot, so we'll see this week uh, how the Jets uh, rebound from that. But uh, you know, hey, Jacksonville, they they cut a pretty good quarterback, uh, a guy by the name of Nathan Rourke. Uh, he played quarterback here at the CFL. He went down there, had some, you know, signed a contract with the with the Jacksonville. Got cut there at the end of training camp, and um, I don't know if he's good enough to start, but uh, I think that uh, they they certainly should uh, give Nathan uh, a look. And he's a Canadian guy. I'd love to see him, you know, you know kick some butts. What's really interesting about the fact that Aaron Rodgers went to the New York Jets after an entire career in Green Bay is, of course, he was drafted in 07. His Mm -hmm. rookie season was 2007. He didn't get a ton of reps because you had Brett Favre. And Brett Favre led the Packers that year to a 13-3 record, I think. And then, of course, Brett Favre basically gets pushed out because the Packers like, hey, you're you're 40 years old. like You've got this young stud. So they pushed him out. He goes to the Jets and he spent a year with the Jets after a long, long kind of historic kind of uh, career with Green Bay, although I think he started in 91 with Atlanta. But uh, but then Aaron Rodgers, who succeeds, who succeeds Brett Favre and has a long storied career with Green Bay, leaves Green Bay for the Jets as well. So that's twice the Jets have poached a kind of a historically great quarterback mm-hmm. for from Green Bay. But yeah, just heartbreaking that he's going to be out for the season. And maybe Nathan Rourke yeah. gets an opportunity and gets some reps in, in New York because that's the one thing, man. Like we have yeah. Canadians that excel in the NBA and Major League Baseball. We they they win champ they win MVPs and championships and their all star appearances. It just feels like we've never made that kind of impact in the NFL. And we've still got some great football players, but we've never had that kind of transcendent Canadian mm-hmm. superstar that that kind of can uh, compete at the highest level of the NFL. Yeah. yeah, and just one final thought on Aaron Rodgers. I mean, just uh, you know, he, he's he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and you know, to suffer like an Achilles injury at any point in your career is a major thing. You're looking at like a nine to twelve month like period of healing and rehab, and I I just hope that he comes back from this because it would be such a sad way to end such a, a great career in the National Football League. So I, I certainly hope that uh, you know he heals and recovers covers quickly and I, I hope he's good to go at some point in the future and and and, and finishes on a strong note because like I say it, it would be uh it would be that asterisk on his uh you know career that uh, that just uh, would you know it, it would be just so anticlimactic and uh, just a disappointing way to 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 one to, final non f1 topic uh, I'm just dragging yep. this out you're like damn it sure. Hamilton, wrap this up already wrap <laughs> this up let me go home Hammy. I, I thought get the, out of here the visual response response from LeBron James after Canada knocked off the U.S. for the bronze medal. The World Cup was amazing. That The almost 40-year-old LeBron James, like, I'm in the Olympics next year. Kevin Durant, you're coming with me. Steph Curry, you're coming with me. That the response to Dylan Brooks <laughs> torching the U.S. for 39 points was that all the U.S. kind of A++++ superstars are going to come out for the Olympics, which was probably going to be the case anyways. But I thought it was uh, I thought it was fascinating how quickly LeBron James committed to coming out for the U.S. in, in Paris in 2024. <laughs> so... So, so basically, what you're saying is that the Olympics next year, everybody else yeah, is playing yeah. for I, silver I, I and fear, bronze. I fear that. I fear that. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you, you know, when you, you you sort of go through that list of uh, you know people that LeBron is uh, mobilizing, it's it's kind of hard to envision uh, anything else. Anyways, Happy, let's call it a night. Uh, let's get out of here. Everybody, thank you for for for, for checking in uh, this week. Thank you for downloading the show. Want to get in touch? Uh, get uh, you know, give us a follow on X. You can find us at Scooter F One Pod. Also, email us at scooterf One Pod at gmail Also, head on over to Apple or Spotify and leave us five star rating review share the show with a friend and that's it that's a wrap we'll be back on sunday night enjoy the rest of your week enjoy the grand prix and we'll talk to you again very soon bye for now